know, have you ever noticed how a, a person's last words um, just have this, they have this ability to carry so much significant weight? Um, my wife and I and our kids, we got to, we're, we're a foster family. My wife and our foster parents, my kids are part of that too. And, and, and currently we don't have any children living with us that are in foster care. But we did this summer, we had um, three or two little kids for, for three months, a one-year-old and a, and a two-year-old. And it was just amazing and, and challenging and fun and all these things together. And, and towards the end of our time with these kids, their, their great uncle kind of came into the picture and he, he wanted to be their caretaker. And so, you know, we, we go to court and we weren't really expecting them to leave, but they left that day. And so we had to, you know, put them in their, the, their car and we were just crying because we weren't anticipating this and we were so sad and our kids were sad and everyone was sad, everyone was crying. And, 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 and you know, they, they go and it's such a really good situation. Their great uncle is just this really good man, this man that loves the Lord. And so we, we took all their stuff to their home and said our goodbyes. And, um, you know, about a month after that, I was thinking about them, wanting to know how they were doing. So I just called their great uncle and, you know, just started to talk to him. He said, they're doing great. And it was, you know, everything you wanted to hear. And I just kind of had this lingering in the back of my mind. I'm like, you know, I, I know that he, this guy's 59 years old. And so I just asked him, you know, plain and simple, hey, why are you doing this? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense why you know, a 59-year-old guy would take a one-year-old and a two-year-old into your house. I'm going, man, Court and I are pretty young, right? In our mid-30s and, and, and it is difficult and you're a little bit older. And I'm like, why did you do that? And he said, when my mom was dying, she's on her deathbed, she, she looked at me and she said, do whatever it takes to keep the family together. And, and he said, so for, for the rest of, you know, ever since she said that, that those have been my orders. <laughs> And he said, so I've taken that really seriously. He said, anytime someone in our family, you know, a, a nephew or, or a kid or grand, someone gets out of line, he's like, I go as the patriarch of the family. And I go and I speak them to them and I help them correct their life. He said, I just got done raising two of my grandkids, you know, sent them off to college. Here we are enjoying our first year of being empty nesters. And I discovered this one and two year old. And he said, so of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step up to the challenge. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to keep the family together. And I was just so, amazed at this man. And in thinking about the, the significance of his mom's last words and how they've played out in this guy's life. And, and so today, you know, that the reality that last words carry a lot of weight. And we've been tracking through the book of James, you know, this, this letter written from this trusted friend to, to his friends that are scattered all over the ancient world. And, and he's know, he knows that they're in difficult situations. And, and so we've been traveling through this, this letter the past few months. And today we're going to wrap up our series. And I, want, I really want to invite us to pay attention to these last words. And it's not that they're more important and more significant than everything else that we've talked about up until this point, but I do think that James uses his words very carefully. I don't think that, you know, he sat down to write this letter and then, you know, the, the letter just ran, he ran out of space. And so this is, that's why he chose to end it. I think he, he specifically chose to end it by putting emphasis on some things that he wanted to, to shape us and to speak to us. And so this morning, you know, that, that's a long passage of Scripture. We're not going to cover every verse. I'm not going to press into every piece of that. I do encourage you, though, in the, the reading of that Scripture video, if, if something in that spoke to you, and, I'm, and I don't cover it today, um, I really invite you to go back and explore that later today or sometime this week. So often the Holy Spirit will highlight things to us specifically that we need to hear. And so maybe Lord has something for you to dive into that. But for today, as, as a community, um, three movements through this text to kind of give us a trajectory of what we're going to be covering this morning. And so the first movement is this. I feel like James is saying this, in your waiting, uh, be patient. 
Second movement, in, in your suffering, be prayerful. In our third movement, in your ministry, be persistent. And so we're just gonna kind of walk through these, these ideas, these movements. And so the first idea, in your waiting, be patient. You see this in, in verse seven where he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patiently for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And so, you know, Aaron kind of put this on the tee last week as he was talking about what it looks like for us to be patient as we wait for the day that Jesus returns. And, and he uses this analogy of, of a farmer. You know, we don't really live in an agrarian society here in Nashville, really. Some of you, you garden, some of you have tomatoes and you call yourself gardeners, but the reality is that we don't live in, in an agrarian society. We live in, 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 in a city, right, in a city center, and that's okay, but one of the great joys of my life is I got to grow up on a farm. And so this, this, these words, they really kind of resonate in, in a deep way. And so I love um, of, of what James is, is saying here. He says, hey, pay attention to the farmer. You have some things to learn from the farmer. And so this is what I think he's talking about. You know, growing up on a farm, every year there was this process. And unless something catastrophic happened, the process would run its course. And here's the process. You plant the seed and it grows and then there's a produce. Like that you can just bet your farmer, like that's, that is what is going to happen. And so uh, every year this, this seed goes into the ground and, it, and for a time it's unseen, it's buried, you can't see it. But then man, one day it just bursts out of the ground and, and you can see it and it just grows and there's this process. And, and I think what James is inviting us into, because he says, hey, pay attention to the farmer, the way that he, he watches for the rain, for he watches for the harvest. And I think what James is trying to stir in us as followers of Jesus, is, is, is this confidence. He says, be patient. I think what he's, he's wanting us to do is to be patient because we're confident. Track with me for a minute. You know, when, when you are, are confident, um, something is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Your demeanor is completely different than when, when, when you think something's gonna happen, you're not sure if it's going to. So here's what I mean, man. When, when, when you are certain that something is gonna happen and it hasn't happened yet, there's this joy, there's this peace, there's this anticipation. The farmer, man, they, they know that one day this seed's gonna grow. You know, I remember when I was in college and, and maybe you're in college right now or maybe you, this is a part of your job where, where you have to work with other people. And, and so you, you come together to work on a project and, and the way that it works is, you know, someone takes charge and they delegate responsibilities and there's always someone in the group that you just know, like they're a better student than you, they're smarter than you, they're sharper than you. You don't even have to check in with, with them about getting their part done. Like you just show up on presentation day, right? And, 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 and they've got their work done and there's just this hope there's this peace about you when, when, when someone has been entrusted that is trustworthy. Right, and the reality is that, that I think this is what Jesus is inviting us to have a confidence in him. That to be patient, that, that, that what does it look like for us to be patient as we wait for Jesus to return, right? That, that even though that, that we can't see Jesus right now, and even though there are so many things that are broken and off and so many promises that are, are yet to be fulfilled, like a seed that is buried in the ground, he is wanting us to have confidence, just like the farmer, that everything that Jesus said will come to pass that he's wanting us to be a confident, a hopeful, a peaceful, a joyful, not this anxious, weighed down people as we wait for Christ to come and to make all things right. Do you realize that when Christ returns, everything is made right? 
I love Romans chapter seven. I think it might be one of my favorite passages in the Bible because I think it's so relatable to me. And so this is what, what Paul writes. He says, the things that, that I want to do are not the things that I do. It's the things that I don't want to do that I keep doing. I go, does that resonate with you? And, and do you realize that when Christ returns, that our temptation will be gone? It will no longer be marked with weakness, we'll be marked with strength, that, that you and I will not experience suffering or pain or heartache or struggle or injustice or all of these things that we just know are not from God. When Christ returns, the world will be made right. And Jesus Christ, the only one with the power and authority, he will deliver on his word. So when he speaks it, we can bet our life that it will come to pass. And it might feel like a seed buried in the ground that we can't see right now, but it will bear fruit. It will come to pass. He's good for his word. And so, so when, when, we, when we live into this posture, when, we, when we're patient, when we know that everything Jesus said, it's gonna to come to pass. There's this peace about us. And here's what happens though so often when, when we forget this, when we take our eyes off of the horizon, when we take our eyes off this reality. James says it like this, you, you grumble in verse nine. Man, when, when we forget that, that, that one day Christ is gonna settle all things, man, we, we do this thing where we start to complain. Um, we become divisive, we turn on each other. Paul says it like this in another book that he says, watch out, because if you keep biting, you're gonna devour one another. And here's what James is, I, I think, getting at, you know, that, that so often when we forget where we're going, when we forget where all this is headed, we, we start, we turn on each other. Um, we get distracted, you know, last, a uh, couple weeks ago, my wife and I and our kids, we went to the beach and I don't know if you've ever been on a road trip with a kid or, or maybe you're like a kid in this regard where you know, 15 minutes into the trip, you're like, man, how much longer and how far is it? And are we there yet? And, 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 and they're just like asking questions and there's nothing wrong with asking questions. But what I realized is that my kids, when they thought about the beach, man, they were so excited. They couldn't wait to get there. There was this anticipation, this excitement. And because they felt like it was taking so long, man, because they lost their patience, this anticipation, man, it turned into irritation. That, that they just got started turning on each other and we're fussing and it affected me in court too. You know, we're just all in this place. And so often what happens when we lose sight of where God has taken all this, we turn on each other and we grumble and we complain. And I go, guys, everything about our culture right now is divisive. <laughs> like it doesn't, it, it feels like you can't say anything or do anything without stepping on a cultural landmine. Right, and we are so quick, we are so ready to throw punches and to turn and to complain and to bite and to tell you why you're wrong. We're so easy to, so quick to turn on one another and just, and, and, and I love like the, what James is doing in my heart going, Brandon, your posture right now, is that the posture that you wanna have if Christ were to turn, return today? Am I treating my brothers and my sisters and people in a way that if Christ were to return today, I would go, I have no regrets about how I'm acting. And I go, church, man, we, we have spent enough time grumbling against one another. Love one another. As you spend time with, with people, if you get to do that this week, encourage the people that you're with. Build them up, don't tear them down. Strengthen them, love on them. And everything about your life is preparing for the day that you will meet Christ. And everything about the, the people around you, their life is preparing for the day that they will meet Christ. And so spend your life helping them be ready 
to meet Christ. Don't do anything that would push them away or distract them or hurt them. Use your entire life to help them get ready. And so James is teaching us, hey, in your waiting, be patient. Second movement, he says, in your suffering, be prayerful. I love this in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. You know, what's your first impulse when hard things come your way? Is it to escape? Um, is, is it to avoid it? You know, you know, some of you, man, when something hard comes your way, your response is out of sight, out of mind, and you do everything you can to not have to think about it. So you surround yourself with friends, you surround yourself with entertainment, you surround yourself with alcohol, you surround yourself with, with all these things that you don't have to think about it, and your way of coping with hard things is just to ignore it. Some of you are the exact opposite. Man, when hard things, when trouble comes your way, you internalize it. And you don't wanna tell anybody about it because you don't wanna be a nuisance, you don't wanna bother them, and so you just keep it all in here and you worry and you analyze and you can't sleep at night because it's all up here in your head. Some of you, uh, you, you, you don't ignore it, you don't internalize it. Some of you, what you do, man, is, is you call everybody and just tell them all your problems. Some of you, when hard things come your way, you just complain and complain and complain. And I love what James says. He says, when hard things come your way, when trouble comes your way, pray. And that's so convicting. And I know many of you, the reality is that you've been trained by Jesus that you do this. And so I don't want to come down hard on everybody, but I look at my life and I know my first impulse isn't always to hit my knees and to pray when trouble comes my way. And, and I love this because I think what, what James is inviting us into is, is when trouble comes, it's an opportunity to experience deeper friendship with Jesus. You know, he is, he is not caught off guard when hard things come your way. My wife was telling me earlier this week, you know, she's like, I can always tell when you're sad or when you're anxious. I just want you to talk to me about it. Like, I know something's there. You gotta let me in, <laughs> right? And, and, and so I think what James is getting at here, you know, he's using his last words to really highlight, to really point us to prayer because he knows as God's people, trouble's gonna keep coming and, and we can keep making excuses or we can be formed by these words. And we can let these words from James 5 shape us as we go forward, that when trouble comes, we pray. And I think James knows some things. He's learned some things, that, that something happens in, those, in that prayer place. The first thing that I believe that happens is that, is, that, is that God has the power to change the circumstances. So one of the reasons that we pray when trouble comes is because God can change the things that are coming at us. And you can read the New Testament to discover this. Read the Gospels, Matthew chapter eight. The, the disciples are with Jesus on, on the boat in the middle of a storm. They wake him up and Jesus speaks to the storm and it goes still. Just think about how crazy that would be for a moment. Waves, rain, lightning, and then one moment someone says, be still, and it completely goes calm. Or I love the story in Luke chapter eight with Jairus that his daughter is sick and he goes and gets Jesus and he brings Jesus and, his, and Jesus heals his daughter. And all throughout scripture, what you discover is that when people are, are, are facing circumstances that are out of their control, they go to Jesus and Jesus has the ability to change the circumstances. And it's not just true in scripture, it's true today, my friends. I was talking to one of my buddies um, on Wednesday and he was telling me about his wife and I was just um, asking him about how they were doing. He said, man, my wife had a really great day. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, it, it kind of is a longer story. He said, but um, there, she has a friend and for many years, this friend and her husband, they've, they've not been able to have a baby. And it's just been this hard spot in their life for, for many years. 
And so last year, or this past year, didn't awaken, which is the month of February that we take as a church family to pray and to fast. Uh, my wife, or my friend's wife, said, for, for this month, I'm going to, to petition the Lord. I'm going to pray and fast for my friend to get pregnant. And so she set her heart against it. She set her heart to it, and she prayed, and she fasted, and she prayed, and she fasted. And at the very, on the last day of the fast, her friend calls and says, you're never going to believe it, but we're pregnant. And she says, I believe it because I've been praying for it. I've been asking God for it. And, and my friends, what I want us to hear this morning is that one of the reasons that we pray when trouble comes, when hard things come, is because God has the ability to change the circumstances. Okay? The other reason we pray is because God has a strength that we need when the circumstances don't change. God has a strength that we need. The reason we pray when trouble comes is because God has a strength that we need that, to get through it when the circumstances don't change, right? And so you see this all throughout Scripture too. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, please take this cup from me. He doesn't do it. Um, you see this in the, in the life of Job. You know, you go back and read Job in the Old Testament. No one wants his life. In fact, I've never heard of anyone's life that is hard as, as hard as his. And one day, all 10 of his kids die. He loses his um, his job, he loses his wealth in one day. And guys, hard things are going to keep happening to us as a church family. And if we spend our whole lives being angry or, or asking God, expecting God to give us answers to why all these hard things are happening, if we keep God as an arm's length, we are depriving our souls of the only one who can give us the strength needed to get through these hard things. And one day God will make them right. The pain will be no more. The dead will be raised. We will be with God where there is no suffering. And I'm not saying that God, we're not gonna stand and, and make God, you know, hey, why did you do this? And why did you, God doesn't answer to us. But we know that God will work all things out for the good of those who love him. And so we press into prayer because God gives us, that he, he can change the circumstances and he, can, he gives the strength that we need when circumstances don't change. You know, the reality is that sometimes we just need some brothers, sisters to come alongside of us and to pray for us. I love that he says, hey, if you're sick, call the elders of the church. You know, we can do this as a church family. This is part of what it means to, to invite people to, to enter our hardness, to invite into the hard places in our life, to invite our elders to pray with us and to pray for us. We do this the, the first Sunday night of every month. And I encourage you, you know, some of you, you go, man, I've been, I've been doing this. I've been praying and asking, and there's still nothing happening. And I want to just encourage you. You don't always see everything that's unfolding. And just because God didn't answer your, your prayer in the moment, it doesn't mean he doesn't hear you. It doesn't mean he's not going to answer it. He says you will be healed. And so we trust God with the timing, okay? So in our, in our suffering, we pray. You know, if you find it difficult to pray, and Andrew was talking about this in the pre-worship time, I think there's a reason. Um, I, I believe that the enemy is doing everything he can to keep us distracted, to keep us discouraged, to keep us to, to believe that God doesn't hear our prayers, to help us, to keep us, to remind us of all the times that God didn't answer prayers that we wanted, the ways that we wanted them to, to, to remind us of all the places that we're feeling let down by God. An enemy is doing everything he can to keep us out of the presence of God. But I'm telling you, in, in the prayer clause, in the place of prayer, is where your, your connection with God is strengthened. It's, it's communication and it's intimacy. That is what, at the basis of every relationship, that's what prayer is. And so my encouragement to you, my friends, this morning is to, in your suffering, keep praying. And our final movement this morning is in your ministry, be persistent. And uh, yeah, you heard me, uh, you're, you're, you're like, what are you talking about, my ministry? Yeah, you're a minister. 
if you're watching to, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just Soloway's job or Dave's job or Aaron's job or Andrew's job or Nana's job or Jana's job. You are a minister, every one of you. You're a minister. Each of us has been made this when the reality is that we, that we were all far from God. We were dead in our sins. We were deserving of wrath for all the evil that we've done, right? It's just true. We've rebelled against God and we've, and, we've, and we've given God the middle finger. We've run from God. We've done everything we can to show God that we do not like submitting to him. And God's response to us was to send his son to die for us so that all the wrath and all the judgment could be placed on Christ so we could be forgiven, so we could be given a new life, so that we could be treated as if we had never sinned before, so that we could be filled with the Spirit, so we could be brought back into relationship with the Father. And because of this reconciliation, because of what God has done for us. He says, I'm not just saving you, I'm saving you so that you can be sent. And the moment we become reconciled to God, we become reconcilers with God. And I love when I see this. You know, there's a girl in our church family, she reached out to us and she's a follower of Jesus, been so her whole life. And, and she reached out to us, she said, hey, my boyfriend, I've been studying the scriptures with him. And he gave his life to Christ. He wants to get baptized this week and the night before Thanksgiving. And, 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 and I love hearing those stories of people who get it, right? That once we become saved, once we become God's people, it, it, we, we then turn our focus outward and we go, man, who are the people that, were, that are hopeless, that are in need of the love and the grace of God, just like I was? And each of us, we have been sent. Right? Each of us are made to be reconcilers. I love the way that James ends his letter, verses 19 and 20. He says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. We cover over a multitude of our sins. You know, last week, two weeks ago, I was at the, uh, at the beach with my family and, and Merritt and I were swimming. And uh, Merritt's my youngest daughter. And uh, there's, I saw this bee um, land on her shoulder. And as soon as I did, I jumped across the water and, and I was gonna do whatever it took to, to get that bee away from her. Like I wasn't gonna let it sting her. You know, if I had to grab that thing and let it sting me in the hand, I was not gonna let that bee get to her. And, 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 and the Lord just reminded me of that with, with these last words from James. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen to me. People that we love that once walked with Jesus have walked away from him. They're living in sin, they're living in, in death. It's for a variety of reasons. Man, they've been, some are good reasons. None of them are actually good reasons to walk away from the Lord, but, but some of them are justified reasons. You see, man, they've been hurt by church, they've been hurt by people that represent Jesus. Some of them, man, they, 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 they've just left because they're just kind of, they want, they're like the prodigal son, they left the house. They wanted to do things their own way. And for a host of reasons, people have left. And the Lord was just reminding me this week, let's not be okay with the enemy stealing our brothers and sisters. Like, let's not be okay with, with him coming into our church and, and like a bee sitting on the shoulder trying to be deceitful and trying to hurt and trying to pull people away. Let's not be okay with the enemy trying to divide us. Let's not be okay with his work. I'm going, as God's people, let's persist. You know, Andrew, one of my good friends, one of our, our pastors here, he was telling me about George Mueller. And, and he told me about this a couple months ago. George Mueller was a, a missionary that lived in England. 
um, a pastor and evangelist. Um, he started orphanages that cared for over 10,000 orphans, just this amazing man of God. Um, but in his journal, he, he wrote this, that he, he felt compelled to really pray, to persist in prayer for the lost. So this is what he wrote in November of 1844. He says, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. And I prayed every day without a single intermission. Whether I was sick or in health, on the land or on sea, and whatever what the pressure of my engagements might be. And 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. He said, I thank God, and then I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed. And the second was converted. And I thank God for the second. And I prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. And I thank God for the third. And then I went on praying for the other two. And then it says that, that 36, 36 years later, he wrote that, that two of his, friend, of his sons, his friend's sons, um, were still not converted. And this is what he wrote in his journal. He says, I hope in God I pray on. And I look for the answer, that they are not converted, but they will be. And 52 years later, they came to know Christ. And I go, guys, let's, let's not lose sight of the power of prayer. That what if for the rest of your life, if, if you thought of five people in your life that are far from Jesus, and you just prayed, and you just like set your heart to it every day, like my friend who prayed last year during the fast, just every day, not discouraged, not giving up, trusting that God is going to hear. Imagine the joy of praying for someone for 52 years and then getting to baptize them. Imagine that being your story, refusing to give up. And so this invitation to, to persist in your ministry, be persistent, keep praying, but also wanna encourage us to keep pursuing. You know, one of the, the most um, instrumental, it's honestly a, one of the most um, painful moments of my ministry as a minister. I was early on, uh, first year doing full-time ministry, and uh, one of my friends, he, um, man, he literally, he just, this is the way to talk about it, he quit following Jesus, and he just went on this, this streak of just hardening his heart, running from the Lord, and, and uh, he moved away from Nashville, and he moved back into town after many months, and, and he called me up one night, and I was excited to see his name on my phone. I'm like, oh, great, I can't wait to catch up with this guy, see how he's doing, and so I remember going over to his house, and, and I went down to the basement that he was living in, and he looked me in the eyes, and he says, Brandon, for the past several months, I've been running from God, and you did nothing about it. You let me run. And, and it struck me. I'm going, man, in, in my desire to, to not upset him or, or to not say something, not to look judgmental, I did nothing. And I go, guys, may, may we learn from my mistake. That when we see people who are, are moving away from the Lord or have moved away from the Lord, man, may we go after them. May we go after them in prayer. May we keep pursuing them with our words. May we invite them. May we love on them. May we not forget about the people that the enemy is trying to snatch away. And I think it's so significant of all the ways that James get into his letter. He reminds us the power of what happens when we turn people from death. That you could help be a part of saving people from death. Separation from Jesus, that's a huge weight, that's a huge joy. So as we wrap up this, this letter today, I have no idea what the next few months are gonna hold, next few years are gonna hold, I have no idea what your life is, is gonna look like, I have no, long, no idea how many days God has given you to serve Him, but may these words, man, in, in your waiting, be praying. 
in your suffering, or in your waiting, be patient. In your, in your suffering, be praying. And in your ministry, be persistent. May this be true of us. May this be said that this is who we are. And so we're gonna step back into a time of worship. Peter and Callie and Tom are gonna lead us. And I just invite us from this place of, of gratitude for what Christ has done for us to worship Him. And then at the end of worship, we're gonna have a time of communion for us to really wrestle with this in the process. And, and so let me pray for us and we'll jump into the time of worship. So God, thank you for this morning. God, let your words, your words that are filled with grace and truth, let them land in our hearts. Any word that I said that is not from you, let it be forgotten. I am so fallible. I'm, I have so many areas that I just don't hear, or see, understand clearly. And so God, forgive me. Release those things. But God, the things that have your weight on it, that have your spirit bear so much fruit. And God, may these words from James as we wrap up today, God, may they shape our lives. Uh, may we not forget these words. May we take them um, very um, intentionally into our lives. And, and God, when we face moments, would you recall these words through your Holy Spirit? Let these words be implanted in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love you, Ethos. Let's worship.